This is Swampside Chats, a podcast where every week communists sit down to shoot the shit about current events, history, political economy, and theory. This week, for another news roundup episode, we talk about the collapse of Ryan Care, Venezuela, the return of cold jobs and asbestos in the schools, George Sicarelio Mayer, and eventually the nature of species being. I'm Jake. I'm with Communist League Tampa. Joining me tonight is Donald. Hey, I'm Donald, also from the Communist League of Tampa. Peter. Peter Moody from the Red Party. Lexi. Lexi from Red Party. Fresh from the Dab Bar. Uh, Pat. Patrick. Uh, Patrick from the Red Party. And Grant. Hey, Grant from the Red Party. All right, so it's a, it's a news roundup episode. I didn't prepare any notes, but I believe Lexi did. So what are we uh, what are we talking about tonight? Trump. <laughs> what is awful in the world this week? Well, we have we have some uh, we've been a fun Trump story. It's so so rarely do I get to say we have a fun Trump story these days, but I think this one's interesting. Dude, there's a ton of fun Trump stories. Like the circus element is like the only <laughs> good thing about him being president. I mean, yeah, it's really. It's good for nihilism. I mean, it is. It's it's been a boom for nihilism. But I think a lot of nihilists are realizing that you know it's kind of lost its edge now that you know nihilist cheerleading and accelerationism seems to seems to you know not have actually pushed things in in a better direction for nihilists. Nihilists continue to be disappointed. All right. Well, um, so let's see. We um, I love the idea of a disappointed nihilist because this is what's happening, right? Um, the newest legislation or like basically there's there's been a um a, a new development that uh the house of representatives controlled by the republicans are going to kill the uh federal communication commissions uh rules preventing internet service providers from selling uh users browsing data uh to advertisers and etc and the trump White House intends that they intend to sign the bill into law and that they will drastically roll back the privacy rights of everyone, of people on the internet. And uh, this has pissed off a lot of uh, 4chan, like anonymous Nazi types. And there's, you know, there's been like a, a boom on uh, Reddit and, um, and Paul, you know, slash Paul slash uh, 4chan's, uh, uh, kind of alt-right haven. So th- this is their revolution betrayed. This is sort of the alt-right recognizing that they got used, that they're useful idiots, which I think it's funny. Um, like there's a bunch of jokes in like modern cartoons or something that if you wanted to start a revolution, you would like take away the internet or something like that. This might be a moment where like a a, a bunch of the... <laughs> A bunch of the online nihilist alt right realizes that they've been like they're they're not using Trump. Trump's using them. Oh wait, our edgy movement is actually shoring up vacuous center right policies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really hard to buy child porn when you when the government's watching you. So you know they they have their concerns. Yeah, it's hard to. It's hard to plan for a race war when the government is watching you, you know. When you're trying to bring out the helter-skelter and stocking up on hand grenades, you don't really want the government looking at your browsing history. Well, advertisers could potentially market better uh, anime body pillows, though, like more based on what uh, hentai the alt-right user tends to watch, something like that with the browser history. They can just go younger and younger, you know, and just... Like, why not fetuses? Why not fetuses? I mean, the Trumpkins could actually love this. This is, I'd be, like, perfect for them. But, yeah, I mean, I think that's... So you're basically saying that, like, I want to... I haven't really been keeping up on the alt-right as much as I usually do. But... (laughs) 
Yeah. I mean, I actually do keep up with them quite a bit. I guess I got to look them up and see what they're saying about this now because I bet it's ridiculous. Yeah, there's I wonder, a board. I wonder if there's like a break right between people who are like still pro-Trump and not pro-Trump. Because I mean, a lot of the more already disappointed in Trump like a couple of days after he came into office, to be honest. Like, so I think there's just a growing phenomenon. It's, like more and more of those just, right people are like starting to be like, eh, I don't like Trump. It's just like a bizarre version of like the Obama phenomenon, you know, where like he gets in and, you know, the swell people who came up to support him, you know, they get disappointed early on. So there's some people who are like, oh, no, he's playing 11th dimensional chess. Don't worry about it. Like he's got this. And then it just kind of slowly becomes more and more clear over time that like, you know, you're basically this is basically just Bill Clinton 2.0. Yeah, with with Trump, it's kind of the same thing. Like, it's going to be, it's, it's slowly going to sink in that this is basically just like, kind of like the Bush administration, you know, part two, essentially. Yeah, uh, I think like what he's basically doing, in my theory, is that he's pushing a basic like right wing platform of cutting taxes and destroying unions and basically neoliberal policies, but with like, but like using like right wing identity politics and anti-immigration sentiment to have a populist base to justify this kind of, to basically distract people and to rationalize into these kind of attacks basically and so he's basically just continuing like your basic like republican tax slashing agenda but with like the theatrics of like all this like you know by by trying to you know with all these theatrics and whatnot but in it, it, it's not just theatrics obviously because he is stirring up real ethnic hatred and nationalism, which is, you know, which you know, also will have effects on militarism and our country's willingness to accept war. Yeah, I, something which which I think will be interesting to see over the over the the course of the Trump administration will be to what degree the parallels or inversions, or whatever you want to call it, with uh, center left administrations, where this, uh, the, I, I think we we could. We could have seen this in in some sense with the Obama administration, where a significant section of the left was hopeful for things that uh, for things that would come out of the come out of the Obama administration. They ultimately got disappointed, and in the by 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 tying themselves to by tying themselves to the Obama administration, they weren't able to effectively organize independently from it, which opened up space. For for the nationalist right to organize um, in ways that they weren't necessarily able to before, uh, this is something that that we often see with center left administrations throughout the world. I'm curious. I'm curious to see if there will be a similar dynamic for the nationalist right over the course of the Trump administration of whether they will get kind of disillusioned and unable to act independently or if it won't necessarily matter um, and they'll still be able to keep the keep section at least sections of the far right going and in some sense in the ascendancy i'm 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 hoping that that's not the case but considering the ways in which the far left is different from the far right in in the fact that the far left is at, at least the the politics behind it have a, a much greater transformative potential than my 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 concern well, my what I'm thinking is that the, the the disillusionment with with the disillusionment of the far right with the Trump administration won't be as uh, detrimental to them as disillusionment disillusionment with uh, central left administrations for the far left. Right. Um, I mean, so much of it is based around like cultural stuff and not like actual policy and so on and so forth. So, on some level, I think these the loyalty can be purchased fairly cheaply. And I mean, that's true on the left, too, but I don't think to as great of an extent as it is for these people. Um, and I mean, some of their expectations for what Donald Trump was going to accomplish, and this is true when, when Obama was elected, too, on the left, um, were so out of skew with what was, you know, remotely feasible um, that it's a bit ridiculous. And they were they were bound to be disappointed sooner or later in some way. But if he just continues to, you know, sort of use... I don't know if you can call it dog whistling because everything he does is so out in the open. But if he continues to like pander to the sort of ethno-nationalist identity of you know the quote-unquote white working class, or you know throw wink at these Pepe people, you know often enough, I think he can sort of keep them in his tent, uh, you know at least for another four four to eight years. 
Yeah, the, the only thing that I would uh, object to in any of the descriptions here is that th there is like a small fundamental um, break with existing Republican policy, and that was reflected in uh, these two executive orders that Trump uh, – it was interesting. He like was at a ceremony, and he walked out before he signed them, but then he signed them later or something. I don't know. Um, anyway, he has an executive order that will require a report on the causes of trade imbalance – um, just the, the trade balance with the United States and uh, other countries. Um, basically, <laughs> the United States has been trading at a deficit for, for quite a long time. Um, but because of, you know, political considerations of, uh, of United States trade structure, you know, this is something that the government has tolerated for a long time. And then there's also an executive order uh, a call for a strategy for customs agents to use legal tools to collect anti-dumping duties owed to the United States. Uh, dumping is an abusive trade practice where you um, build a lot of things for super cheap and then export them to a country that can't produce it as cheap, and so you drive all their local business uh, out because they can't do they can't do it for as cheap as you can export it to their country. And this is, I guess, quasi-ironic because, yes, the United States, you know, like the countries do this to the United States, but they learn from the way the United States does it to the world, like, or, or at least used to. <laughs> like, um, a lot of farmers in the third world are put out by, like, U.S. corn or, like, other kind of grains, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, so it's kind of showing the protectionist side of his agenda and he actually is kind of trying to do some of this stuff that he promised he would do protectionist wise so but that's I pretty just, much the, the the only thing that i can really yeah. say that this is is actually different about trump but i don't think that's really ultimately enough that's just it, trump reflects the interests of a different side of capital yeah right. and I, well, I was just i was uh, something like speculating on how long he could retain like Going back to the original article, how long he could sort of retain the loyalty of like the alt right or you know the Pepe people or whatever. Yeah, I wonder as well how much longer. But I think it's just such a small amount of people that he he can go without them as long as he has like the religious right and the business right on his side. I think that he can keep it going, basically. So he might kind of mellow. I mean, and he might mellow out a little bit as far as like the nationalism goes, but I don't know. Well, you can always crank up the nationalism. I mean, look at the last DNC. I mean, you know, those arguably arguably even yeah. more nationalistic than than the Republican shindig. So yeah, it's basically like the Democrats are competing to be just as nationalist together as the Republicans right now. It's really ridiculous. It's the like Democrats a, brought the Cold War back. They're like, God, yeah. they're like mighty ducks nationalists. So they're seeing how well nationalism is working for the Republicans. So they're like, well, how can we do this? For our yeah, how can, how, can, how can we fuck it up? Yeah, how, can, yeah. how can we do what they do, but shittier and nobody will like us still? Yeah, they're going for the specific <laughs> kind of conspiracy-mongering uh, conspiracy uh, nationalism that has been part of the Republican formula for a while now. But they they can't even do that right because like the Republican at least like the right wing wingnut conspiracies like have there's like some kind of mythological pull to them right like yeah. what's one like okay the government's building FEMA camps and they're gonna get ready to herd your family into the camps when they declare martial law based on a false flag attack like that's a cool story like I want to watch that movie but like all the Democrats have is you know well they re they released some emails in a way that was timed to make our candidate look bad and that's how they. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like that's the, that's like the most no. boring, like banal. No, Trump is totally the Manchurian candidate. I mean, you have to admit it is like somewhat of an interesting conspiracy theory, I guess. Like in the way. I mean, if they went like full Manchurian candidate, like he visited Russia in like you know 2012 to sell one of his buildings, and he was taken in by the KGB and subjected to brainwashing technology developed by Stalin in the 1950s. Yeah. Like, you know, like really go out and like give me like paint me a picture. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, people I, I... people go further with it that he is like that there is like a specifically leftist conspiracy. Like, like tell me tell me there was like a face off situation where like they they like Putin and Trump like swapped faces, and like there's this like you know give me something. I mean, until Lizards. like Rachel, until Rachel Maddow is like pushing male vitality pills, it's not really worth it. It's not worth it, honestly. 
you really you really know that you're full all right when you're selling male vitality pills. She Health- wouldn't be selling male vitality pills. She would be like selling something else, like tote bags. Tote bags. There that's, we go. That's the, that's the leftist version of male vitality pills. It's tote it's bags. Tote bags. <laughs> At least tote bags do what you say they do. They tote. Yeah, yeah, yeah asking- that's 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 <laughs> like too rational. It needs to be like some kind of some uh, kind of protection from the Russian fluoride in the water, like <laughs> filters, water I don't know, filters, like regulation. Well, the left know. has gone really crank lately. Like they really do think that we're seeing like this takeover of some kind, and that it's you know 1984. You know, and a lot they, they really do think that there is this. Yeah, like they really think that there is like this resistance movement that exists. Like these riots and stuff are somehow going to be like a a real movement that can threaten Trump. Have there really have there been an uptick or downtick in riots since Trump's election? I mean, has have there been? I know there've been like you know. Hate incidents have gone up, but has there been? I haven't heard of like any mass scale rioting happening anywhere. At least not yet. I think. Did you mean rioting more in the sense of black blocks and that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. just like mass protests. That, you I, know, I thought that happened like initially when he got into office. Like the. Yeah, but I definitely mean like like those kind of protests, like pro big, large mass protests, and often sometimes they turn into riots or mild riots. But like, yeah, there haven't been you know full on like Watts riots or whatever. Like, yeah, I I remember at at J twenty, I was there with some people from the DC and Baltimore IWWs, and there was a skepticism of these things like marches and actions without demands and not having a program and that sort of thing. But I don't think that's the majority view on the left right now at all. Well, it's hard to say what the majority view on the left is right now, but it basically seems to be that we need to drop everything and focus on stopping Trump, which is just an invitation to working with the Democrats. It feels well, like what, what were people doing before that we need to drop? Like what was the, what was the big leftist project in, in America? that needed to be dropped in order to rally our forces to fight Trump. I mean, I don't Drum circles. Yeah. Tr- yeah, I guess. Drum I mean, circle. Like, like, drum circles, newspapers, you know, the important things I, in life. Oh, God. I have, I have a book on my shelf that Trump wrote. Uh, well, he didn't write it, probably, yeah, but, you know, he told somebody to write it. Um, in which the one 2000s, do you have? I found one on the uh, garbage. It's called The America We Deserve. And it's like political nice. manifesto. From, wow, his own mind comp. From his political manifesto from 2000. Um, yeah, the one I have so is I called How to Get Rich. I, I, I want to read it and kind of like see how much of you know, his opinions like line up with uh, where he's at now. If it's interesting, we I'll let you guys know. Swamp side chats. I was thinking maybe, maybe. There, there's actually something fairly interesting about that, like when he ran for president in, in 2000, um, very briefly as a reform party candidate, he, he, he talked about how, how, how he was up against and what was trying to, um, he, he was being opposed from the right within the reform party um, by uh, Pat Buchanan and by, um, I think indirectly by David Duke, who, who he, you know, rightly, uh, well, they, you know, at that time, he rightly called out David Duke as a white supremacist, and he, um, and, he and he called Pat Buchanan a neo-Nazi because of his uh, isolationist kind of pro-German views with regard to World War II, I believe. Um, so it, wow. it, it, yeah, it is a very interesting development off of that, uh, seeing seeing how Pat Buchanan and David Duke were now fairly strong supporters of Donald Trump this time around. So what the hell is going to happen to our health care? Let's move on. And let's, I, I, have, I have this, this article here, which I kind of can't believe I say this, but it's like a Young Turks article, and, but it's like pretty legit. Of course. No, but really, uh, it's called um, GOP Healthcare Defeat. Quote, three-dimensional chess, quote, or just incompetence. So it presents us with this weird series of events where we had this bill that Trump, okay, you know, Trump did go to the stump for this bill. 
He held a couple rallies, but he didn't really do the full Trump effort with um, the repeal of Obamacare and replacing it with what the press ended up calling Ryan Care. And it's plausible that the Trump administration wanted to throw Paul Ryan a bone and give him a chance to, you know, flex his inner, you know, John Galt on Obamacare. And um, it blew up in his face, which, you know, I, I, I thought it was plausible that the GOP could come up with some kind of health care plan. Um, but I didn't expect them to eliminate a bunch of health care in like the way that the Ryan plan did, <laughs> um, which I guess I was being too charitable. Well, it seems like there was a split between the part of the party that doesn't want the government to really do anything. And then the part that felt vulnerable, you know, in the coming election cycle and didn't want their name on it. Um, so those two ends of it kind of killed the bill basically. Cause now there were enough people who just kind of went, Hey, I ain't touching this thing. You know, don't put my name on this. Uh, and then there were other people who, you know, like the Rand Paul wing that were like, you know, this bill says the government has to, do things and that's oh, oh my god it was like it's like a classic like tragic waltz if you care about you know the gop's electoral performance because the uh the far right uh freedom caucus which is i guess co- corresponds maybe to the rand paul contingent yeah I haven't, I haven't followed this super closely so i think that that sounds familiar yeah um so the the real hardliners that want to like get rid of a bunch of provisions um the trump administration as as, as far as i can see um, really played ball with them and incorporated a bunch of their demands into it and ignored a lot of what the center right, um, who are, you know, they're more concerned about their electoral, um, you know, volatility, you know, by ex- tying themselves to something, you know, too extreme. The irony is that although the, uh, the White House, like the, the White House was definitely conferring a lot with this, uh, for, you know, Freedom Caucus, um, the Freedom Caucus didn't end up voting for it, and it was a lot of the center-right Republicans that ended up voting for it, so that's all on their record, the people that are concerned about electoral viability. <laughs> and, the, uh, and the actual like loonies that, uh, that put all those extreme like, uh, things into the bill and got lobbied to get them into the bill, they ended up being like, nope, that wasn't extreme enough for us. <laughs> I kind of admire them in a weird way, like the Freedom Caucus. I kind of admire the way they do business. Yeah, I mean, they I really admire the way they fuck up politics. We should probably like take take them up as an example and how to. Uh, how to if fuck we up have to government. share a party, if we have to share a party with total fucking opportunists. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and I think that kind of gets us back to the three-dimensional chess or just incompetence question of the Young Turks article title and i'm not sure how the young turks come down on that question but i i saw a group sort of speculation once the health care bill really seemed like it was going to tank that trump had sort of intentionally thrown a hand grenade into into ryan's hands you know and i don't know that i buy that i'm gonna say i do believe that Trump would have preferred the bill sail through smoothly and such because they did fight with the Freedom Caucus for it. But I do think also at the same time that there was a very deliberate, you know, I, I don't see Ryan Care, the the title that the media gave it. I don't see that as the result of uh, Trump, the Trump White House sort of throwing Ryan a bone. I really think that there was an attempt to disassociate Trump's name from this bill. I I think that there was a real hesitancy to make this Trump care. Well, yeah, because Trump back in the day was for universal health care. And even like, even somewhat recently, like when pressed in interviews over like the campaign trail, like before he had to spout orthodoxy for the uh, main election, some of the things he said when he was winging it, he said, well, of course the government would pay for that. And, you know, and just had like in his political career, 
like regularly complimented like single payer like government you know Stalinist Keynesian healthcare. <laughs> well, yeah. and why why the hell would he want to like waste a ton of political capital like fighting fighting over healthcare? Like I don't think he really gives a shit. I mean, look. Oh I mean, yeah, look, like um, another funny thing is like uh, Richard Spencer, the the head of the alt right. He um said that Trump should go ahead and support nationalized health care as an... Oh, no, I was just thinking care. that. Oh, no, I was just thinking that. Richard Spencer... Trump, Trump care. Think about it. Single-parent health care yeah. becomes known as Trump care. Honestly, there would be gold statues of Trump everywhere, and there would be a thousand-year Reich if he did that. Please yeah, fucking... Richard do. Spencer was saying if Trump really wants Bernie to... Bernie Sanders would, what he should would do. run as his VP. <laughs> Yeah. Which is funny because yeah. it just shows how like how third positionist like the modern far right is like. Well, the and modern the left. far right really doesn't have much of do a think, Eastern do you, markets. Do you think in like the Trump care like NHS system that we have like in the daycares for the kids like Pepe would be like the friendly like NHS frog that like represents the. Oh Jesus Christ! That is that is a terrible d- division of the future. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that kind of nightmarish. That's yeah. the daycare at a, in a Handmaid's Tale. I don't know. I feel like Trump's just uh, Trump care would just be like it would be, it would be the kind of reform that's like it's obviously it would be good for the working class to have single payer health care, but it would be done in such a way that it would almost like degrade class consciousness because <laughs> it's like yeah. Daddy Trump is going to fuck care of you all. I Even can't I- imagine Trump care, a nationalized Trump care, uh, well. I think we can all agree that this is sort of would be unexpected if he sort of made a turn and came out with single payer, I'm, whether he sort of believes in it or not. I'm, but I also don't believe just like the the infrastructure proposal, I don't believe that Trump's implementation of it would be even Amtrak level efficiency, you know, I think no. that there would be a real cronyism to the way it played out into the no. way that the system was designed. And so just like with the sort of rumblings of the infrastructure projects that Bannon was so excited about being kind of just giveaways, yeah. I think same thing could happen with healthcare in in some other way. Yeah. yeah, it's just it would just be neoliberalism on crack, or it'd be like a way for like you know government to like privatize state assets, but they can't do that with healthcare because they don't. Well, they, state he'd say we need to run. We need a national healthcare system run like a business or something like that. Yeah, but oh, that, that's so- what that's what Lenin said about the whole economy. We just need to run the whole thing like a fucking factory, you know. <laughs> Well, the be fair, that was under war communism, and exactly <laughs> what Lenin thought communism would be. Well, but, well is that that's in state and revolution as well? Oh yeah, but he's he's talking about like the dictatorship of the proletariat. But anyway, John, to fall back into this argument about because <laughs> we are talking about. I mean, the whole idea that there's going to be Trump care is just like it's a fantasy. Obviously, it's not. It's it's a funny it's one. An though. Interesting thought experiment. It's funny because like. He would really, I don't know, it would be pretty, like, crazy. <laughs> it would be an historic move. It, it would be yeah. like Trump, it would be like a Nixon goes to China type thing. He, yeah, right, it would right. cause a shift for sure. Also, it would probably be like poor, it would be pretty shoddy also. Like, just, like, a lot of the executive orders that he initially pushed out when he got into office were like really shoddy like they didn't they were like poorly edited and that sort of thing and didn't go through like the legal checks and that sort of thing that that most executive orders went through like under obama and yeah he probably would even be like like if if in some strange twist of history we've seen a few in in the past year but if in some strange twist of history he decided to go for it, I, I don't even know if his administration would be competent enough to actually draft legislation that would be functional. I mean, yeah, and this is this is also why I believe the whole uh, uh, Ryan Kerr was a false flag theory is kind of dumb because there's been really nothing, nothing about the Trump Trump campaign, his administration so far suggests that he's some kind of Machiavellian genius. Like he bumbled his way into office, essentially. Well, and he, he, what he's good at here, and what he was good at, was shifting blame. 
Like he was able to shift blame for this thing onto people he doesn't right. like. And that was very effective because, you know, he made the move of, he made the gesture of, I mean, he wasn't going to win and that's why he quit, but he made the gesture of walking away, which gave him the optics of having like some kind of agency over the situation. You know, the fact that he didn't go with national health care, I think is instructive of the way his, his populism has shifted after taking office because it did channel itself into the occasional sprint to the left when he was campaigning. But now that his power base is so thoroughly the Republican Party, I think he's found himself kind of bound to promoting a pretty typical Republican agenda, as we said. And so his way of still appearing to be a populist, sort of persecuted and crusading against this evil force is now to make that the media. And I think that the more he antagonizes the media and they feed into it, the more he's going to be able to keep his image up because they can't resist it. No, you have Alex Jones, like every day, like losing his mind, like they're coming for our president. Obama's got a bunker half a mile from the White House with 70 activists in it who are preparing for a coup. The media, you know, like he he, he needs to maintain this image of being this like uh, embattled figure, which is interesting because, you know, Obama kind of was in a way, but it just made him look bad. Whereas like Trump has found a way to thrive on it. Yeah, like it's um the more that Trump just basically like as an alt writer would say cucks out and just ends up doing the normal Republican thing. I feel like the more he has to drum up like conspiracism and ethnic hatred and stuff like that in order to kind of keep that populist like mentality and appeal to that kind of like white identity aspect of his campaign because you know in the end like everyone is going to realize that they're because he promised to not that they won't be economically fucked over and when they do inevitably get economically fucked over like at least you know trump can be like well at least you're a white american and like a great white um country like america you know When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. And I'm sure he'll have somebody to blame when that comes around. Let's see. I um, I'm not going in order here, but there's um, also Trump signs executive orders unwinding Obama climate policies. Uh, it's a New York Times headline. Sounds hot. And yeah, unwinding. You know, it's getting slipping into something more profitable. Kill the Earth faster. Yeah. Please. L- literally um, hot. Literally hot. Literally. Uh, so, yeah, let's see. At a ceremony, Mr. Trump directed the EPA to start the complex and lengthy legal process of withdrawing and rewriting the Obama-era Clean Power Plan, which would have closed hundreds of coal-fired power plants, frozen construction of new plants, and replaced them with vast new solar and wind farms. Come on, fellas, you know what this is? You know what this says? Mr. Trump said to the miners, you're going back to Oik. That's wild. Because, uh, you know, solar and wind farms wouldn't require labor to operate. And, coal labor, right. and you know, there's so many jobs that are created by keeping coal mines because, you know, the labor process is just so extensive compared to what it used to be. It's so stupid. Coal's, coal is not coming back. It's not going to happen. There's no and, way. like. Coal production, like I, under, I understand that there are people that are willing to do the jobs, willing to take the risks, but it is the kind of thing that, like, basically should be automated, like in a better society, because well, it's so damaging. The market has just the market has just destroyed coal. You know, once fracking overtook it, there's just it's not necessary anymore. It's not as profitable. Uh, it's too much cheaper to do natural gas. I'm pretty sure. No, you don't understand, guys. Daddy Trump is going to make it all possible, okay? 
And if you question it, you're just a part of the globalist media that's fucking ruin, cucking our nation. It's so weird that they have to pretend like, you know, we could go back to whatever X era of capitalism that had these kind of jobs and like bring these jobs back. Like, why can't somebody just come forward and say, look, America, you elect me. I'm going to get, if you want it, I got a shovel for you to lean on. You can draw a check from the government. I like, think, why is there somebody who just comes up and says that? I mean, I mean, well, it goes to show just how regressive Trump's quote unquote anti capitalist populism is. Like, the actual aspects of it that do have that populist edge is just like regressive shit. Like, we need to keep decaying and dangerous and in, like industries, you know, running so that people will work in them, you know. Why don't why don't we got asbestos in the schools anymore? Hmm? They took out prayer and they took out asbestos. It's a decline in our society. I mean, kids love lead paint. You know, lead paint tastes sweet, and they eat it all the time. So why take the lead paint out? That's and, my know, question. So many jobs are lost when they moved away from lead paint. You know, it was it was, it was so bad. We just need to, you know, keep with it because you know people will lose jobs. It's it's that kind of rhetoric. That allows him to come off as an economic populist, but it's just really regressive and backwards. And well, it's not it's based a weird, of socialist weird. future where you know we can actually move beyond like these forms of production. So it, uh, but, capitalism can only be expressed in this regressive, like backwards way. It, it's such it's such a horrible defeat for workerism that this is where it ended up, and it's so damning about the the fate of the original identity politic. The one that's supposed to glorify the, the the common person and form a democratic basis for a new mode of production, like instead becomes this incredibly reactionary bulwark, this total reified, one-dimensional, self-defined like thing that totally binds one to nation and capital. Like it's 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 a terrible defeat. That, that this is the fate of, of like workerism. I mean, you know, I I, I want to see like a candidate just sort of like tell people, yeah, we're going to replace you with robots, but we're also gonna, we're also going to have like the government throw money at you. It's like <laughs> the best of both worlds, really. Like accelerationist candidate, the actual accelerationist candidate, you know. Yeah. In a way, it's like Trump kind of forces us to be accelerationist in a way and, and push the necessity of revolution and f argue against this idea that, like, we can go back to, like, Keynesian-style capitalism. And, you know, it's kind of funny how, like, a lot of what a lot of liberals argue for, Trump is, like, kind of trying to do with his, like, whole vision of, like, going of protectionism and, you know, American yeah. jobs. For America. They just want to keep wage slavery going even after it's expired its own usefulness. It happened with slavery, slavery. Yeah. The future is just going to be the iron heel, but just, just for keeping wage slaves down, keeping the few wage slaves and the massive waves of unemployed people down. Yeah, that's the nightmare. Is also that, like, the most employment, we just become, like, security forces that, like, discipline the unemployed and lump in <laughs> and then there's just a huge technocracy that runs everything or we storm the hamptons do you want to move forward like, about, like the like bourgeoisie like reconcentrating in the cities although yeah. a, lot of, a lot of that is i was reading this book about it like a lot of that is like a lot of the process of gentrification like on the very top of like the gentrification stratification stack there's like this class of like globally mobile like uber elites who just buy like high-end condos like anywhere they want to visit over the course of the year so you just got like these super expensive places that are you know unoccupied for a significant portion of the year like driving up uh rent rates and like property values for everyone else and like displacing the formerly urban proletariat like into the suburbs oh yeah Th those are fucking arts that's for the revolution but the problem is, like, they're not there as much as you would think. So it's like you go, you go to like, drag them out to the guillotine, and they're not even home because they're like in well, Dubai. No, 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 no. I don't, I don't, I don't want to kill them. I just want their stuff, and that's that's really oh. the heart of the revolution. Is that it's just that their those properties, those like awesome resources, are too cool to belong to somebody. <laughs> I I really enjoy walking past mansions, uh, especially 
I'm from Jersey, and when I pass certain large beachfront properties, I just imagine sort of several families living in these large mansions by the sea, you know, deep into communism, and it's yeah. it's sort of. I mean, yeah, I usually just imagine smashing them up, but you know, the, the, you know, your your vision, your vision sounds nicer, honestly. I did say, you know, there is the storming the Hamptons part first, but I, ironically, Grant, we actually had that in around here. Like there, there was a uh, a, a Fourierist uh, phalanx in Red Bank um, back in the mid nineteenth century, um, which you know literally was a mean a utopian socialist but you know compound in monmouth county <laughs> so in, Ma, in old, good old republican reliable monmouth county wow yep so we've done well, it, I, I didn't mean, do it again i didn't mean we make communes in the mansions i just mean that you could fit you know a yeah. decent number of people in them comfortably oh certainly yeah I remember reading this like weird communionization stuff that basically said riots are better than sex. And that's why communization theory is never going to be right. I think we should perhaps move on, but I, I think, yeah. you know, just to tie it back to what started this conversation, if we don't abolish capitalism, I mean, the 20th century was socialism or barbarism. Um, right, and we picked barbarism. I think now we're presented with socialism or extinction. Well, with with the note that communization is a very broad set of tendencies, I'll let us continue, and um, I, let's talk about uh, Venezuela High Court. Dissolved. Yeah, I don't mean to smear all all communizationists as. I, I don't want to talk about communization. I want to talk about Venezuela right now. Yeah, we, do com- we have sorry. to do a communization episode. Like we should read like Duvet or End Notes or Alhaven Theory Comedies or some shit. But right now, we'll, let's talk about. We'll definitely do a communization episode soon because it's one of my favorite things to talk about. Yeah, I enjoy talking about it as well. And but let's talk about Venezuela, which is much more difficult to talk about. Because, well, um, let's talk about it. My understanding uh, is basically the National Assembly there has just been dissolved and all power has been concentrated in the judiciary, which is, you know, very bad and undemocratic. And I think um, everyone was saying that, oh, in the next election, Maduro, he's not going to win. There's no way. The economy is just doing too bad. But, like, now it seems like they're trying to kind of st- strengthen their stranglehold on the system without, and, and get rid of what remembrance of democracy are left in order to keep in power. So you're ending up in this. It's, it's coming more and more of Stalinist almost, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty sad. And it's really all tied to the economic crisis that's happening there. And I think the reason why they have such a difficulty with their economy is because mostly they export oil. That's the main, their entire economy is geared around that. And when global oil prices were high, Chavez was able to, you know, make a lot of money off selling oil and use that to create, you know, a big welfare state for those people in Venezuela. But prices went down. You know, basically, he got fucked completely and couldn't use this kind of oil rentier status in the economy to, to to prop up all this all these social programs. And he never like really diversified the economy as well. And so basically, like it's just all falling apart completely. And it seems like the government is trying to increase its stranglehold in order to prevent it from losing power, even though. Things are just going like total crap. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm not saying like the opposition is you know is great. You know they're probably all just neoliberals who will just murder a bunch of people once they come to power. So it's a really tragic situation from both sides. Yeah. Also, yeah. I think there's like sanctions involved right now. Also, with their economic crisis, not to put the blame on like the United States. No, or it's whatever. important to talk about. It's important to talk about because our the United States government wants the government of Venezuela to fail because they are acting out of line and there is like an important like anti-imperialist logic to assessing the motivations for the United States um, to misrepresent that state yeah. versus yeah, well, yeah. we don't have to support them to, to care about that. And to not want them to be carpet bombed. Right. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, yes. 
we should definitely keep in mind that this is sort of the directionality of socialism in one petrol state in any case, but I'm, I think there is a history of these uh, Latin American countries that perhaps had their chance of, however temporarily, maintaining some form of whatever the most humane version of social democracy is, and it's probably not very humane, uh, exploitation, capitalism, all still there. But these, so, you know, self-proclaimed socialist governments, um, their end was still sort of premature for what they could have achieved in the sense that, you know, the CIA orchestrated all of the coups and all of that. You know, I, I don't really have much faith in that sort of uh, style of revolution or that style of government. But I, I think it's really, it's really telling about how much you have to deal with the problem of, of isolation and how important internationalism is and all of these different things, really. Well, it's my understanding, too, that, like, you know, Chavez's approach to, you know, socialism for the 21st century was, like, much more patrimonial, maybe, than, like, classical, obviously, like, even, even like, Scandinavian social democracy. Um, like, it wasn't, it, it was, a, it was a peculiar strain of socialism, if it could be called that. Um, I mean, some of this kind of reeks like we told you so, but, you know, we did kind of say that there were problems with this thing and that it wasn't for a lot of people who were like major Chavez boosters for a long time. I mean, I guess a lot of the boosters aren't going to stop. Like they're still going to like, even if the country becomes like North Korea, they're still going to faithfully and like, you know, yeah, they're North Korea, they're North Korea boosters. So yeah, never, never underestimate the potential for self-proclaimed anti-imperialists to carry water for literally anyone. I mean, some of them will fall off. Like it's a fact. Some of it, some of them will figure it out, but not all. But I think the whole thing about Venezuela is it just shows that like you can't even have social democracy today. <laughs> like, I mean, people people to fall off. Like, capitalism has to be abolished on a world level. Like you can't even have social democracy in one yeah. country anymore. It's sort of like, like one of the reasons why social democracy was a bet was a better alternative for working class people, or at least quote unquote better alternative for working class people to communism was it gave the results of of like state communism or whatever you want to call it, like healthcare, that sort of thing, all that jazz, but without like the violence and the revolution and all the nasty things that people associate communism with. But now like, it's like not even possible to get like the nice things anymore without like an international movement at least you know to avoid like um, capital flight and all that yeah well, even a, a group like Syriza, which had a pretty you know reformist program you know even they couldn't get their program through you know as a single party in europe yeah and that's and once social democracy, like the rise in social democ, the the second rise in social democracy fails in the United States, it's gonna it's going to slip back into harder right politics. Honestly, I mean it's it is, it swings back and forth in this country, you know, but it's it, the 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 uh, stick still stays pretty close to the center. I mean, overall, all things considered, um, I think you know the very fact that there's like this. Um, sort of neoliberal policy consensus or, you know, there's this machine cap or the system capitalism that needs to be maintained, which means in terms of like hard policy, there's only so much differentiation you can really get. Um, I think that's part of why so much of our fixation in politics is all cultural stuff, you know, because there's almost, there's almost like a subconscious recognition that we don't really have any agency over anything that really matters. Yeah, it's a result of a, like a long-term kind of uh, deflationary tendency that has been in the humanities where people get extremely nihilistic about just about everything and kind of see everything as a, just a different text or something. I, I know it's, this is a really like deflationary way of looking at like a postmodern phenomenon itself. But I think there's like in, in like the broad outlines, like the con kind of conservative critique of um, 
postmodernism, you know, that there was like a sort of a moral panic about, you know, there's like a lot of truth to it. Like it, it sort of like enabled, and, and it, it actually really comes from these leftist projects of trying to justify dictatorship and really using any kind of philosophical justification possible, no matter how strange, to support, no matter support any configuration of politics possible, no matter how strange um, that developed. It's just such a disaster. It's just a disastrous tradition. <laughs> so anyway, is there, anything, um, is there anything else you want to cover? I think we, I think we have an hour here. Um, George Cigarillo Omar. Yeah. George Cigarillo Omar. He was on, um, he was on Tucker Carlson. Yeah. And, um, he, yeah, he, he was being grilled over a tweet that uh, reads as follows. Some guy gave up his first class seat for a uniform soldier. People are thanking him. I'm trying not to vomit or yell about Mosul. Um, and so, yeah, basically, Sikarel Mehar got um, grilled for, um, for making that tweet. And... Um, and he defended himself very poorly. Okay. Yeah, he, yeah. So, like he basically danced around that question, and he was like, "Yeah, I totally respect troops. You know, I respect troops. I want them to get healthcare, et cetera, et cetera. You know, all that jazz." Even the, and, and Tucker's like, "Why, why, why would those? Then why would the whole fucking giving up the seat offend you? You know, why, why would that offend you?" And he, he just kept on dancing around the question. Yeah, and, and it's he, not only like he could have not said anything. Because he could have been like, well, it shows how reverence for veterans upholds the ideology of U.S. imperialism. It would have been easy. Yeah. Like, he didn't he say could that. Have gone he just, full. like, I don't know, the conversation just, like, he completely degraded. I mean, he dropped I mean if it were me, if it were me, I would just go full troll com and just say, yeah, the troops are fucking awful. <laughs> yeah, they're fucking awful. Well, to be well, honest, like I feel like a lot of the left has completely given up on ever recruiting from the military, and that's probably a bad idea. Yeah, because they're going to need some it, support from them. I mean, it is a. So I think I'm instead of telling about, troops they're horrible, I think we should be telling them to shoot their officers. <laughs> tell them, like, I mean, tell you know, Tucker I'm just Carlson saying, that you support troops who kill their officers. That's simple. Yeah, yeah. Basically, you're crap unless you shoot your officer. <laughs> but well, there's, I mean, there's. There's, there's a, a whole like there's a whole like uh, <laughs> sorry there's there's like a whole like Republican tradition like small R Republican tradition of like I don't know a sort of like militiahood within like a, a you know a required draft where because you're in a quasi democratic institution you can organize like a, a, a revolt now you're just like stationed with like a bunch of people that have been like psychologically primed and screened and manipulated into like, you know, being near robotic um, agents of the executive and like, and there's also a lot of automation and, and um, like kind of drone warfare and, and there's all these strange Foucauldian power measures that are implemented in the military that make, you know, just fragging your officer in the old school, like Vietnam way, it's a, it's a, it's a harder sell. Oh yeah. No, I mean, I was, I was riffing off of the troll com idea. I mean, th that is a tough sell for sure. But I do think, I do think I agree that we need to be recruiting from within the military to some extent, somehow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, we should just be. We should at least be willing to like work with proletarians who are veterans. You know, like yeah, oh, that's no. no I, I don't. I don't necessarily hate like veterans or anything like that. I just like if I were in his position, I would have just gone with like the worst possible option. Just, just, just you know, because he wants to be an edge lord. He wants to be a troll. Yeah, and he the fact just that he's went. An he tweeted about white genocide. No respect for him. Yeah, like yeah. you all know that that George Cigarello Omar is an anti-vaxer. Yeah, hilarious. I actually like he unfriended me over it because I called him a moon bat for it. He actually like he really cares about it. Like he actually was like telling people to like vote against this measure that would make vaccinations required and stuff. 
No. Like a, he, he's really, like, he's a dedicated anti-vaxxer. Yeah. I mean, when like, you think... Pain, that's what annoys me when the whole left, like, whenever this kind of stuff happens, the left always, like, rallies to support this guy. And, like, they call anyone who doesn't, like, support him, like, sympathetic to the right. But it's, like, <sighs> of all the people who fucking support, this guy is the wing nuttiest, <laughs> shittiest, like, politics guy. Yeah, like, and he he really did represent himself terribly on Tucker Carlson. I mean, right after the fiasco where he dodged the question and couldn't even you know commit to being a troll, had to sort of backtrack like that. You know, Carlson makes this jab at him, quoting some paper about Venezuela. You know, saying really, listeners should look this up because it's it's such a you know train wreck that you can't look away from, but um. You know, and so Carlson makes fun of his writing style, you know, pokes a little fun at him for being an academic, uh, you know, having a government salary, that sort of thing. And he just takes the bait outright. Like he just takes it and he's like, well, you're just too stupid to understand my great writing. No. Instead of saying, no. you're an immature idiot, shut up. He just, he, he took the bait completely. Yeah. But that's contemporary class warfare. The right wing has subsumed class warfare because he was able to bring out all the bullshit like sophistication and erudition and like ego that comes with being an academic that the left is like blinded for reasons that Marx would understand. But most people who get to read Marx can't see in themselves. The right wing has mastered class conflict right now. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, because it, it's, it totally feeds into this narrative that they have of um, rebelling against these professors and um, civil servants and this political managerial caste. Yeah. And, like, and people like Trump are these like rogue entrepreneurs who are like, gonna, like put them yeah. put them down and make everything right. So it totally feeds into like that vision of like the left and that the right has. Yeah, like Plus, the guy's an anti-vaxxer, and he loves Chavez. And as we were just talking, like Venezuela's fucked, and he's just—I don't know. Yeah, he's gonna go down with that sinking ship. Well, yeah, he's got. It sounds like he's got no. Uh, he's got no media game. That's why it makes it like such a minor miracle. I don't remember, if you remember that video where they're like they're at that uh, one of those anti-Trump protests, and there was some tanky there and like a bomber hat and a mask, and the dude was like, uh, "Do you prefer to live in the Soviet Union?" Hell yeah. Stalin would be a hell of a lot better than Trump. Stalin would be better than Trump? Yes, he would. Do you know that uh, Stalin killed 50 million people? Did you know that the population increased 1.6% under Stalin? Russia's accepting visa applications right now. Would you like to go? I'd be thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> and the, yeah, the dude, the dude didn't miss a beat, and like he actually made the reporter laugh because like he was so on point. And then it cuts back to the studio, and the people are laughing. It's like, I got news for you. Uh, you gotcha. Did you know population again? I did not Stalin. know that. I, got I never thought you'd lose a Stalin debate. I, 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 you never expect to walk into one. It's weird. Like, the Fox News like correspondent seemed to recognize that uh, this kid had game. And they kind of gave him credit where they're like, yeah, he got you. He's like, yeah, I guess he did. <laughs> so it's like, you got you to gotta be like that. You got to... Uh, you gotta like double down. Yeah. If you can't beat Tucker Carlson in a debate, don't go on TV. Well, well if, you can't, if you can't beat Tucker Carlson in debate, you're, he's, they're not going to bring you on. Like, like, see how like other people from Left Book have performed on Fox News, and it's you know. It's oh yeah, like Michael Rechtenwald. Get Rechtenwald. Yeah. Oh god, yeah. he's full up for like disaster case. But his- <laughs> The performance of Peter Carlson was really embarrassing. It's just like he ended up like arguing about his sex life. Like it was so bad. Yeah. Bill O'Reilly, though, for Rechtenwald, I mean, Bill O'Reilly is quite a quite a high level of hack, Fox News hack. I mean, Tucker Carlson is sort of more of your kind of run of the mill white dude in a suit kind of replaceable Fox News correspondent, but Bill O'Reilly, you know, Rechtenwald's really, well, yeah. really held himself with this bullshit scandal that he self-manufactured. Well, apparently Ann Coulter, like, enjoyed Rechtenwald's performance and said that he, that she really felt that he shook things up. Of course. Yeah, Rechtenwald got kicked out of insurgent notes for making common cause with the right. 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, for anybody who yeah. doesn't, that's what I think it was making common cause with the right, and I agree with them for kicking him. Yeah, out. he did an interview with an anti-Semitic conspiracy theorist site, so yeah, he's definitely making common cause with them. Yeah, I mean, just for anybody who who is listening and and doesn't know, this is the uh, what was it problematic? No, dis dis deplorable, deplorable, deplorable NYU professor, deplorable professor on Twitter. He started yeah, this horrible NYU professor. Yeah, yeah, and basically started buddying up with uh, the alt right because I mean, don't get me wrong, I have my problems with campus identity politics, but this man thinks that the Cheka is going to come after him over pronouns. Seriously. Yeah, yeah he calls it yeah. liberal totalitarianism, and th there is a there is like a literature on liberal totalitarianism. Like uh, Eric Olin Wright has stuff on like uh, prison, like the like the prison system and ideological reform within prisons, where he uses a phrase. And there is other interesting thoughts on liberal totalitarianism. Like Zizek talks about the end of history and the end of ideology as really the victory of liberal thought, and that liberal thought, you know, goes into the subconscious of your mind, you know? <laughs> like, there's a lot of interesting work on liberal totalitarianism, but the way Rechtenwald uses the category is, you know, someone who has my, you know, third gender pronouns is oppressing him by asking him to, like, respect my yeah. weird cultural, like, pr preference. I mean, and, and he's, and it's also invested in his status as an academic. I mean, this goes back to Absolutely. something we've said over and over again, which is that we need a working class intellectual culture that lives outside of academia. Otherwise, these hacks are just going to be the movement. Yeah, because there there are like little petty managerial tyrannies where, you know, someone who says check your privilege is the functionary in charge. And so it does end up feeling rebellious. And from this privileged position in these tiny little places of, of like power, like if you're on the lower rungs, it does feel like that they are the Stalinists or something, but it's such a, like a privileged little microcosm. It's fucking ridiculous to develop this sense of, you know, shit. I'm, you know, I'm like that guy in 1984, basically siege complex. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it allows, it allows them to frame class struggle as like us, us poorer working class people, normal white America against the evil, decadent, cosmopolitan, pseudo Jewish conspiracy. You know, that they get to frame it the way the Nazis did, in a way. Yeah, it is concerning the overlap there. Even though a lot of them are like upper middle class. I mean, it's not just like a Nazi thing. Though. That's a common like line of thought in like reactionary thinking, going all the way back to the French Revolution. Like the Augustin Burrell, for example, his whole conspiracy was that the revolution against the natural hierarchy of feudalism was due to like this evil conspiracy of like Freemasons and like you know. So like the, I mean, and it's like this weird like force alien the humanity almost that like forces it upon people because it's it's not it's just like a rebellion against nature. I mean, it's, it's really, all egalitarianism as like a rebellion against nature. I guess it's. I really, kind of think that's awesome though. I, I'm totally into that rebellion against nature. Like, if, I mean, if that's, that's the source of Illuminati theories. Like, you know, that that's what Illuminati theories come from. Yeah, I mean, ah. there was like an enlightenment called the Enlightened Series. Area that had like super like radical like enlightenment ideology that verged on almost on, like proto communism. Yeah, we got to bring this shit back. Like really. Yeah, yeah. Nature's fucking stupid. Honestly, like trees are really overrated. Let's be honest. If so we could just are... have. Oh come on! Somebody bring up that Kamat quote about a, a tree. I mean, I like trees and shit. Don't get me wrong, like, but like... I, I don't like the biological like facets of, of of human beings and other organisms that doom yeah. them to lives i want like, like a harmonious like metabolism between humanity and nature but at the same time like i don't believe any of that hippie dippy like nature sacred bullshit like it's just like the hierarchical aspects of nature you know like when people point to like the way animals behave and use that to like justify human behavior it's like it's always reactionary 
it's sadistic and cruel as well. Like it, it also, it just dis- disgusts me in like a, a deep way. That's extra political. It's like, not just like, like a formal objection to the way I think politics should be rationally uh, pr- proceeding or something. Like, it's really just a, a deep guttural sense of like, you, you are why like people lie about God and stuff or like nature or like they make some kind of grand theory to distract from the truth is because of people like you who will reify this like shitty tendency about nature that's true and you'll be like well then we should do that and it's like fuck you you can't like this is where reason begins reason begins in saying just because something is that way it doesn't mean it should be that's like the beginning that's the beginning of thinking (laughs) yeah exactly it's 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 transcendence of instinct instead of just doing what's instinctually right you're you know you're using reason to make decisions yeah all that humanism (laughs) Ah. goddamn humanist species Species being we we got there we got there from from george sicarello mar we got to species being so that's pretty successful from the shit comes a flower my friends well george sicarello mar says that you know he actually argues that like all humanism is eurocentric and racist so we're being really problematic right now according yeah to george yeah Dude, his haircut is racist wow what a journey from ryan care to that one douchebag whose name I have trouble pronouncing. I want to say it's George Cigarello Mayor, but I know that's not correct. This week wasn't our most prepared episode. We weren't originally planning on doing a news roundup episode, but we've heard informally from people that uh, y'all seem to enjoy it, so we kind of impromptu came, came up with a few topics and kind of rambled our way through it. If you want to support the podcast, uh, you can leave us a review on iTunes. I would also recommend you check out our Facebook page. I would also recommend that you don't check out our YouTube page because I haven't been updating that because turning our things into videos is kind of a pain in the ass, so I'm probably abandoning that. Um, I would also say um, send us an email if you want to get hold of us at swampsidechats at gmail.com. I haven't been super diligent about answering them because the emails have been you know, supposed to be forwarding, forwarding to my regular-ass email address, but Gmail wasn't doing it for some reason, but I think I fixed it. So if you send something in, I promise I will try to get back to you within a few days. So until next time, keep your, keep your boots clean, your feet out of the swamp, and your head in the revolutionary clouds of tomorrow.